بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد الله سبحانه وتعالى سيدنا القرآن كنتم خير أمة أخرج للناس تأمرون بالمعروف وتنهون عن المنكر The concept of أمر بالمعروف أنه المنكر to just get right into the discussion because we're starting a bit late أمر بالمعروف أنه المنكر is something that Muslims speak about that we should do this. Sometimes we feel guilty that we may not be doing it. And sometimes we complain about others doing it in a very harsh way or in an excessive way. So today, uh, you generally don't hear a lot of uh, etiquette for Amr bil-Ma'roof and Nahil Munkar, despite the fact that it's such an important concept uh, in our faith. So when you're enjoining the right or the responsibility for enjoining good and for prohibiting evil, what exactly are the boundaries for this and what are the qualifications and what are the etiquette of this? That's what, uh, very important for us to understand. So first, uh, commanding to evil and forbidding the good, which is opposite. If somebody commands to evil, right, by maybe starting a new trend which is wrong or taking people to the wrong place or selling haram, selling drugs or whatever the case is, all of that is considered commanding to evil and forbidding the wrong, sorry, forbidding the good. So if a person sees something happening which is good, but they feel guilty that they can't do it, so they start complaining about the other person saying, oh, that doesn't look nice or that doesn't look appropriate. You have that sometimes. Some people are on a guilt factor because they can't do well, and then they want to stop others from doing so. So for example, let's just say that there's some food on offer which is doubtful, and some people are being careful and they're not eating it. Sometimes it hurts another person who doesn't want to be so careful. They say, no, you guys are being excessive. So commanding to evil and forbidding good, right, is a characteristic of hypocrites. That, that's, so where I'm taking most of the material today from is from one of the great scholars of the last hundred or so years called Imam Nahlawi, and he's covered this in a bit of detail. So I'm going to take from him and then just going to add to that to basically make it relevant to our situation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the hypocrites, al-munafiqoon wal-munafiqat, both men and women, resemble one another. They enjoin evil and forbid the wrong and forbid the good. So that is obviously something we don't want to be doing. We want to be doing the opposite of that. The opposite of, it, of this is obviously Amr bil Ma'ruf and Nahil Munkar, as we mentioned in the beginning, which is from a fiqhi perspective, it's a communal obligation. Somebody in the community, a few people at least, need to be doing it. So where there's something going wrong, there has to be at least a few to fulfill the obligation of trying to correct it, trying to deter people from it. If nobody does it, we'll all be sinful, right? So the few bold people who do do this, we should actually sometimes, you know, thank them for, for, this, uh, for this reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states that let there be among you a splendid group that invites to virtue, commands the good and forbids the evil and those are indeed the successful ones. So that is where we get the obligation as a communal one from the Qur'an. وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. The Prophet ﷺ in a hadith says that by the one in whose hand is my soul, you must certainly command the good and you must certainly forbid evil or else a punishment from him would soon be sent upon you. After which you would call upon him, yet your du'as will not be answered afterwards. So not doing this, not fulfilling the obligation, actually stops du'as being accepted. 
Other narrations state that the punishment for abandoning this obligation is actually sweeping and general. Because it's a communal obligation, some people have to do it to absolve all the rest. If then the punishment comes because nobody does it, it's going to affect everybody. That's the danger here. I want to just put things in perspective, that's why, because this is not a subject that is covered generally in a proper way. There's a lot of uh, extreme understandings of this and uh, shortcoming in this. So that's why Ibn Allan, who's a, common, who's a hadith commentator, he says that punishment, the punishment of such a thing can then manifest in various different ways. It could manifest as the tyranny of your leaders. That a leader will come upon you, your leaders will start oppressing people and acting in a tyrannical way. That is a punishment essentially. We see that around the world. The dominion of enemies. Enemies will overcome you. They will ascend. And other forms of tribulation. Uh, finally, Ibn Allan says in his Dalilul Farihin, which is his commentary, he says, to get annoyed when corrected is itself a major sin. So if somebody corrects me when I'm doing wrong, I know it's tough, it's harsh, it's bitter, but I must take it. I mustn't get defensive. Otherwise, that is another sin. Subhanallah. Ibn Masood who says that verily amongst the greatest of sins in the sight of Allah is for a person to be told, fear Allah, to which he responds, mind your own business. And that's in Sunan al-Nasai. It's then narrated on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri that the Messenger of Allah said, whoever among you sees an evil act, let him change, this is the famous narration, I'm sure everybody's heard this, right? Let him change it with his hand, and if unable to, then with his tongue, and if unable to, then in his heart, at least. And that is the weakest level of faith, right? Now, how do you understand this hadith? What does it mean that you've got the weakest level of faith if you can't do it with your hand or with your tongue? Uh, different ulama have explained this in different ways as... For example, one interpretation as Imam Nahlawi mentions, some scholars maintain that changing with the hand applies to people in positions of power like leaders because they've got the force behind them so they can physically do that. If you and I and go and try to do that and take the case and the matter in our own hands and it's a judicial case for example, we're going to get you know, we're going to get in big trouble sometimes, right? Again, if it's in your hand, it just, if it's in your right like you're an employer then obviously you've got the physical ability there to fire people or to change things and so on and so forth. So it's people in authority. And with the tongue it means that that relates to scholars because they have the pulpit. People respect them and listen to them. So they must at least verbalize it even if they can't physically do anything. And number three, at least for the general laity, who are not in any position of authority, power, supervision or whatever, then they must at least uh, feel bad about it in the heart. And there's an understanding of this also similar uh, from Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah. Another thing that we need to clarify, a little, the big, one of the really common excuses is that, oh, I don't stop myself, so why, how can I tell others? Right? I'm not perfect myself, so how can I tell others? I've got my own demon, so how can I tell others? That's a shaitan's deception, essentially. The only time it's actually wrong for, uh, or blameworthy for us to be telling others not to do something is if we do it boldly, no guilt, and we're telling others. That's proper hypocrisy. But if we're trying to abstain ourselves and we're not perfect, 
actually helps to tell others because that makes us more particular. I've always noticed that if I've got a weakness and I speak about it, I actually become a bit stronger because I feel like I'm telling others that I need to be careful. I learn more about it as well because when you tell somebody, you know, you research it and so on. So it is not a condition for the incumbency that you must uh, fulfill this uh, obligation that the person act has to be acting upon it himself and refraining from what he prohibits because that's going to be very difficult. That's why one poet said that if you had to be perfect before doing Amal Ma'ruf and Nahil Munkar, after the Prophet ﷺ, nobody would be able to do so. Because after the Prophet ﷺ, there's never been a perfect person. Um, there's a renowned Maliki scholar. Uh, his name is Imam Qarafi. He's a major Usuli Islamic legal theory scholar. Right? He mentioned his book called Al-Furuq, which is a book on Usul, that a person's inability to prevent a wrong does not necessarily entail weak faith. Just because you can't in a particular case, though you want to, doesn't mean you have weak faith. It's just trying to explain the hadith. So what he's saying is, hence the weakest level of faith in the hadith above refers not to the faith of the heart, but rather faith of action. So you're not able to physically do anything, so you're very weak in terms of physical faith. Though in the heart your faith may be strong. It's just another way of looking at it. Um, because he says that the term Iman here in this case used to refer to action. Also, this is the most important part now. That when you do, when you do it, what should you have in mind? What should you be your intention? And what are you trying to attain by doing so? Because when sometimes you tell somebody, it's almost like you're getting back at them. You're criticizing them. You're insulting them. So what is the way to do it? in the way Sharia tells us to, saying the mere prohibition is not sufficient to fulfill this obligation. Rather, if a person persists therein, so if you tell somebody and they carry on, if they persist therein, then it must be in, accompanied with internal hatred and anger, that you must feel angry, like why are they going against the law of Allah? You mustn't think, oh, it's all right now. You must continue to feel bad. It's not that you just say it once, I've told them and now I'm completely fine in my heart. That's dangerous. Because then it becomes, the, the, the psychological harm of that is then that the next time you will not, even if you had the opportunity, you won't tell them because you think you've just done it once. My obligation is done. But the point is that you must hate the sin. So that needs to continue to happen. And if it requires and it's going to be effective and there are conditions for this, you may even have to shun the wrongdoer to maybe get them to realize. That doesn't work all the time, but in the cases where it does work, where they love you or where they want to be with you and you're going to show your disapproval. There are three con conditions though for enjoying the good. And this is what a lot of people miss. The few that do do it, sometimes this is the problem. The three conditions for enjoying the good, number one, intention has to be correct. Why are you doing it? The desire should be that the word of Allah, the Sharia of Allah, the good ethics reign supreme and triumphant. That should be the focus, not to put somebody else down, but that good prevail in the world. Num uh, in addition to that, part of number one, in addition to that, the motivation should be to correct others. The, the motivation should be to correct others and it should be out of sincere care for one's brethren, that you want them to be good. You want them not to be punished. You want them not to be unethical. 
you don't want them to do bad things. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that the basis of the entire religion is genuine concern and care and goodwill for others. That must prevail here. And then he also said, none of you is truly a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. So you must love the good for yourself and must do this for others because you want them to have good as well. That's number one. Number two, when you're going to tell somebody, you must know, you must have the knowledge of the proofs of why it's wrong. And not the proofs of why it's wrong, but the details of what exactly is wrong and why it's wrong. Which is to know the evidence of what is being enjoined or forbidden. And why is that? A lot of the time what happens is that some people may have an assumption that something is wrong or right. And they see somebody and it's a cultural understanding. Or it's an extreme understanding. Or it's just one opinion. And they go and they harshly criticize somebody else. And that's completely wrong because they're not wrong in what they're doing. They're just wrong according to what you understand. But they're not wrong according to their ulama. And there's a complete valid reason for why they're doing it. A lot of people get this confusion wrong. And number three, when you do correct something, you're going to have to listen to it sometimes. You're going to have to, uh, the repercussions. So the third condition is that you must remain steadfast in the face of the difficulties that you're going to encounter when you enjoy enjoying the right. Number three, what is the traits of the person who does, who should be doing this? What should you inculcate in yourself? Number one, gentleness. The point of correcting the wrong mustn't that you, it mustn't be that you must always just go and harshly go and correct everybody. Where did you learn that from? Just because somebody did it, <coughs> doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Everything, the best thing is starting with gentleness. And the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever is deprived of gentleness, he's been deprived of all goodness. So the person who's doing this, if we're doing this, inshallah, gentleness in the way we're doing it. For example, the way the sunnah is to exhort in a manner that is general and discreet. So as to protect the feelings of the other person. The point is not to hurt their feelings. The point is to correct them. Now, if their feeling does get hurt and is unavoidable, that's different. But the purpose should not be that just go in there harsh, hurt their feelings so they stop. A lot of the time, actually, if you hurt their feeling, they won't stop. Because people have ego. Right? And they take it personal then. So how you have to think a lot, like how can I do this, fulfill this obligation, get my message across, get them to accept it. Can you see, you'd have to be very tactful, very wise, and you have to keep your gaze on Allah. That He give you sincerity so the person can understand that sincerity. And this is where we make a big mistake. This is the problem. That's why even when the Prophet Musa and Harun Right, who are among the greatest of the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they were ordered to go and condemn Pharaoh and talk to him, who is the worst of the tyrants, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qula lahu right, Speak to him gently. So maybe he may take heed of fear because there's an ego problem. If you talk gently, they might say, Oh, you're coming as a well-wisher for me. You're right, you know what? You're right. But if you come harsh, then people just naturally become defensive. Number two, you must have clemency. 
which means that you must have a lot of sabr and patience. You can't make changes overnight. You can't just go in and just make a change. You're going to need a lot of forbearance, a lot of clemency, and it may take a while. But that's our obligation. And do not feel constricted or annoyed in case you get not the right response you're looking for initially. Remember, sometimes people change over time. They can't change straight away. And number three, you must have religious understanding, <clears throat> which is complete an insight, a complete insight regarding the intricacies of the evidence, lest, lest one gets it wrong, which is basically what I said earlier anyway. Finally, if you're a person with a bit of knowledge, you've taken a few classes or you're an alim or you've studied a bit or you stay in the company of good people and you know more than others or you go out in tabligh jamaat or whatever the case is, you have a reason why you know a bit more than others. What generally happens in that case is you've attended a few classes, a few durus, whatever, you've got friends who are ulama, you start feeling that you know more because you do know a bit more maybe by now. right? You will physically know a bit more. Now, when you know more, one of the risks in knowledge, right, which you have to deal with, is that it makes you feel, it makes you feel arrogant. Knowledge rises always. So when you first get knowledge, the environment in our body, right, in our heart, may not be conducive for that knowledge sometimes. You have to get it, but it may not be conducive in the sense that it may lead us to get a bit ostentatious, uh, arrogant. That's why you need humility to be able to contain that knowledge and use it correctly. Then that becomes wisdom. So this is a big pitfall. So that's why he's saying that it's a major catastrophe that one must be, ca that one must be careful to avoid. That for a person of knowledge, when enjoining something, they start to perceive their own dignity due to that knowledge. Then it becomes personal. Then you have no barakah in that. And then the, you think the other person is lowly due to his ignorance, due to he doesn't know how much you know in this case because you've sat with a few ulama and everything. If this is one's motivation, then this evil is itself much more wretched than the evil he is forbidding. Subhanallah. You've done something much worse because you've done it for the sake of the deen or coating it or cloaking it in the cover of the deen. The other person who's doing it, he knows he's doing wrong. He, deep down, he knows he's doing wrong. You're trying to forbid that, which is known to be wrong. And what you're doing is basically, you think it's correct, but it's actually wrong because you're doing it for the wrong reason. Can you see now why a lot of Amal Ma'af and Nahim doesn't work? Because I think it's the intention problem. It's the etiquette problem. Our deen has etiquette down to everything because our whole deen is a deen of adab, which includes in things like jihad and Amal Ma'af and Nahim and everything else, which maybe outwardly seem violent. There's an etiquette. Truly no one is safe from the ploys of the devil. So even when you're trying a good deed, shaitan won't let you do it first, but if you start doing it, he'll try to spoil it. And we must be conscious of that fact. Only the one who's, the, the one who's protected is only the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows them to see their faults and their vulnerabilities and whose insight Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up through the light of true guidance, then they will be very, very careful. So basically the upshot of all of this, the summary of all of this then, is that anyone who takes up this obligation, right, 
they must know the different views about the issue. Right? Such that his enjoining good and forbidding evil take place only with evils that pretty much everybody agree is an evil. Moreover, he must not cross the legal limit of speech and action. For, for indeed, many people who take up the communal duty of enjoining good and forbidding evil themselves then fall into error by being excessive in their condemnation. If five words suffice, then it should be five verses, not twenty. This is where, and you know, you're going to think this is too difficult. It's an obligation, but it's too difficult. Look how all of these barriers you're putting, all of these limits and adab you're putting on. I mean, we're going to get it wrong. Well, the thing is that as long as you've got sincerity and you're doing your best and you're trying to keep this in mind, we do it. We may make mistakes because you can't always get it wrong, right? Uh, we may make mistakes, but the only way to learn is on the job. There's no other way you can learn. You will say things, okay, that worked. You say something else, that didn't work. I mustn't do this. I've made mistakes. Like sometimes I felt so strong. Uh, str uh, I, I felt, I saw something happening which was so blatantly wrong. And you can't go and stop everything. You see so much that's wrong. You can't stop everything. But sometimes you just move that, I feel guilty if I don't say something. But in the heat of the moment, I did it in the wrong way. I went and told them off. There was a couple it was a couple, it was a young man and a young woman sitting in a cafe in, in, uh, in the lap with a hijab on and by a college. And I just, just went in and I told them this is wrong. And the reaction was obviously very negative. Right? Had I gone and sat down and then struck up a conversation right? Uh, and then said, look, you know what you're doing is like, this is wrong, it's so harmful, and so on and so forth. You know, that may have been a better, but then sometimes you're moved. I hope Allah forgive, and I hope they got something out of it. So you can make mistakes, but that's how you're going to learn, right? And if you're sincere, inshallah, Allah will forgive, as long as you don't keep making the same mistake. I'm not going to do that again and again, because I've realized it doesn't work that way. You know, times change. So something which may have worked 20 years ago is not going to work now because people think in a different way, right? We live in a time of mind your own business. It's the postmodern world. Psychologically, the postmodern world tells you that there's no one truth. Just because you think, or lots of people think something is the truth, I'm not obliged to think that way. Literally, this is the postmodern world. You can have your truth and I can have my truth as long as we don't harm each other. That's the condition of postmodern world. Right? Truth, there's no ultimate virtue. You, th you can think whatever your virtue is, and I have the right to think what my virtue is, but I can't impose my virtue on you. And definitely not be aggressive about it. In that, it's so difficult to do Amr al-Maruf and al-Munkar, because even so many Muslims are then speaking in this kind of a modern, post-modern kind of idea. Right? And then you have to tell them that's not an Islamic idea. Right? For us, whatever Allah says is ultimate. Of course, there's a way to implement that. Now, you know, even if there's, uh, the, 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 there's, there's a thing here that some people say that because there's a difference of opinion among some scholars, uh, one, some scholars may say something is wrong, but there's other scholars say, no, there's some discretion in there, it's okay. So now you can't forbid that. 
This is generally what's mentioned and you may have heard something similar coming from Imam Nahlawi's. But I want to clarify that. Just because you can't condemn something which other ulama may have said uh, is okay under certain circumstances, it doesn't mean that you can't give advice. You can give advice because clearly among the two positions, one may be the superior position, though there's a leeway for the other position. Number, th n number two on this same case, a lot of people use this and there's a lot of opinions out there, right, about single issues. The majority will say it's wrong, but then there's one isolated opinion that is not a very well-known one. Somebody said it at some time and people use that to say, oh, this is a mas'alatul khilaf. This is an issue of difference so you can't condemn. Because there's some random guy who said something. Now, just because some random person has said something doesn't make the issue a differed upon, upon issue. Because differed upon issue are only those which are differed upon by reliable uh, scholars who are recognized. Otherwise, you're going to find opinions about everything. Aberrant opinions about everything. So keep that in mind. Uh, but having said that, even if there is a different opinion about something, that doesn't, that, that doesn't mean that you can't give advice. You can give advice, you can't condemn, you can't, it's not going to be nahi anil munkar, but you can give advice that this is the superior position. So for example, let's just say that somebody has the opinion that video is fine, and others that it's not fine, and that's a valid difference of opinion, big scholars on both sides. You can still go and say, look, you know, and that's why my personal belief is that where it's not necessary, you shouldn't do it. You should do it for the sake of da'wah, but you shouldn't do it all the time and just keep posing for selfies and things like that, right? Because I think that just becomes a very egotistic thing, right? Because you go to different programs, you see different people, even in Hajj, it's like, can I come and take a selfie? It's like, why? What are you going to do with that selfie? What's the point of it? Their reasoning is that they're going to brag, oh, I was with this so-and-so, but like, what are you going to get out of that? That's purely egotistic desire. There has to be a message that you're sending when you do something. There has to be a purpose of what you're doing. So now, if, there, if this is a masalatul khilaf, that this is a differed upon opinion between many scholars, right, good scholars on both sides, so I personally believe that you use it for, the, for, for a justified purpose, but otherwise don't waste time with it, right? Just to be safe. Because if it is wrong, and that's the real opinion according to Allah, we think it's okay because this is a means of da'wah, but according to those who say it's wrong, and if that is a stronger opinion, then at least we want to avoid it as much as possible. So you can see there's some adab there about that. Uh, that clarifies for us some of the guidelines of this. It was just a brief exposition, but hopefully it uh, will give us a working framework, inshallah, to help us to fulfill this obligation to some level. We may not be brave enough, and uh, we should not leave it outsource it to the few harsh people who do this all the time without any discrimination we all need to do this because otherwise our whole ummah will go down right the degeneration will be total right if none of us do it we need to obviously start with our own families and circles of friends you know before we move on to others but at some level we need to you know whatever that case may be whatever wh however we need to do it we must make it easy inshallah just one final thing according to many jurists and theologians such as Imam Bajuri, Karafi, Taftazani, Amidi, Qadi Khan, Haskafi, Ibn Abidin. Now these are all either usulis or jurists, saying that another condition of where it becomes obligatory to do Amal Maruf and Nahil Munkar is that benefit should be expected or likely to be expected. 
So if you're just going to say something and you know they're not going to listen or they're going to get worse, then it's actually wrong to go and do it. Because you're then contributing to evil. So you must at least feel and sense that there will be a benefit or most likely there's a benefit or there definitely is going to be a benefit. So that basically means that one should feel reasonably sure that the other party will take heed and listen. Otherwise, if one does not think they will listen, then trying to enjoin the good or forbidding the evil, it doesn't become an obligation. Then you need to do something else. Then here it's going to be counterproductive. Because there's some people, they're just so vile that if you tell them something, they'll just do it more to bother you. Because they, they've really lost their iman to, a, to, to that degree sometimes. If benefit is unlikely then, it is still permissible to do Amal Ma'ruf and Nail Munkar, right? But possibly disliked in that case because you may be bringing on more evil. And if one is certain that there would be no benefit, then it could even be impermissible to do it in that case. As it might entail frivolousness and useless speech that may worsen the situation. Related to this, one must be reasonably sure that one's advice will not worsen the situation. Such as leading to more sin or unlawful speech or just a big debate or a big argument, right? Or the other party's absolute outright disdain for the religion. That's, that's what it's going to cause. Otherwise, it would be obligatory to remain silent in this case so as to choose the lesser of two harms. That's why you would just stay silent in that case. Now, remember, every situation is like that. This is kind of like the default position everybody's adopted. They think, no, I can't bother, it's going to cause a, it's going to unsettle the situation. It's going to ruffle the feathers, right? That's why we never do it, because we think we shouldn't do it, right? In, in some summary, one must consider the likely benefit of one's exhortation. And if the benefit is unlikely, then silence might prove more beneficial for a certain amount of time. You find another time. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever believes in Allah and the last day should say good or remain silent. Right? So the extreme people, they need to just tone it down or remain silent for a moment. If one does not enjoin the good or forbidden evil, then one must try to change the subject so as to end the unlawful activity or speech. So if you're sitting with people and they're talking about something bad and you just can't because you know they won't, then tactfully change the direction of the talk. So use another means, even if you can't forbid it. So these are strategies. Right? If this is not possible, then one must just get up and leave. But sometimes we're so cowardly that we can't even leave because we think we're going to upset them, even though they're upsetting Allah. Right? So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us in this regard uh, so that we can, inshallah, contribute to the health of our ummah, inshallah. And the benefit of all of this is that at least the general calamities will be lessened. General calamities of having tyrannical leaders, uh, the, the withholding of resources, of rain, uh, of barakah and blessing. All of these things would, would come about because of that. May Allah allow us to do things in the right way. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to do what, uh, the, 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 the wisest thing in a situation.